Imagine uh, with me that you're in a setting where you're going to meet somebody for the very first time. Maybe it's, uh, it's at a party and there's some people there that uh, maybe you're with your spouse or you're with your kids, uh, something that's connected with their team or some organization they're a part of, and you're meeting maybe some other parents for the very first time. Maybe you're out in the lobby uh, of our church and, and you interact with somebody for the very first time, and uh, what you need to do is in this, this exchange uh, of meeting someone for the very first time, you have to introduce yourself. So just real quick, uh, I want you to think about, if you were to introduce yourself, what would you say? I mean, I'm, I would probably say and start with my name. Hey, my name's Rob. Um, depending on what's going on there, I don't know that I'll necessarily use my last name. Uh, depending, again, uh, if, um, like if I was with my kids, I would say that uh, I'm Sam's father, or I'm Jen's husband, or I'm, you know, Jerome's uh, pops, whatever it might be, we'll, we'll kind of use these descriptors of, like, part of our identity that's made up by other people that are connected to us. We also might do a, a real quick question, like if you're engaged with somebody and you're, you're both meeting one another for the very first time, a very common question is, where do you live? Uh, another question, quite common, is... What do you do? I mean, typically when we think about who are we, many times we'll fill in with what do we do? Perhaps we might talk about our job. We might talk about uh, our career. We might talk about uh, some of the things or the organizations that we're a part of, depending on the setting that we're in. So how would you introduce yourself? What would you say? I know I've got a couple of... uh, introvert friends who would say, I would never introduce myself to anyone because I'll just stand (laughs) off in the corner and let the rest of the party go on around me. But if you were in a situation where you needed to introduce yourself, someone came to you and they started talking to you, what would you say about who you are? You see, it's important for us to understand, do do we really fully grasp who we are? I would offer that uh, who we are is found very much in who God says we are. And yet still some of us are not 100% sure of who God says we are. Let's take this a little bit further. If you had to introduce Jesus to someone, what would you say about Jesus to introduce them to someone? What would you share about him? What would you say about his name and, and uh, perhaps those that are connected to him or what it is that he does? How would you introduce Jesus to someone? Well, certainly you would need to know who Jesus is. You would need to know some information about him. And so what we're going to do over the course of the next eight weeks is we're going to take a deep dive into the identity of Jesus. Because here's what I'm convinced of, is that the more I learn about Jesus, the more I recognize there's a lot for me to find out who he really is. There are times when I'm reading God's word and I just see some, some description, some, some truths about Jesus that just cut me to the heart. And it's like, how in the world did I miss that until now? You see, I believe that Jesus is uh, to be known Jesus is uh, inviting us to know him. 
And so in the book of Mark, we're going to see that it's an incredible description. It shares the identity of Jesus. We picked the book of Mark because uh, Mark is, um, honestly, just open candidly, it's the shortest of the Gospels. And I like things that are quick and simple, and let's get to the point. There's 16 chapters in the book of Mark, and we're going to just take some time, and we're going to look at the first eight chapters of Mark, because that's the section that's all about describing the identity of Jesus. We're going to see in those first eight chapters who Jesus is, really. And then uh, we're going to celebrate Easter. Then we're going to take a little bit of a break from Mark, because we're going to let his identity permeate us. We're going to settle in to finding out, okay, now that we know fully who Jesus is, what does that mean about who we are? And so we'll we'll examine a couple of other uh, um, issues and and just uh, some subjects. But then in the fall, we're going to come back and we're going to to cover what we're calling Mark Season 2. We'll pick it up in Mark Chapter 9 and we'll finish the book because that's where it transitions and we find all about why Jesus came who he is, and why he is who he is. And so it's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to learn uh, some incredible information. I'm confident that you're going to find out uh, who Jesus truly is over the course of this next eight weeks. I just want to encourage you to be here, to make it a priority uh, to, to participate, because this, what I know is, is that Jesus, there is so much to him in terms of just his identity, that we can't cover it in two or three weeks. And if you, out of these eight weeks, are only here two or three weeks out of those eight, there's going to be like, you know, three-fourths of Jesus. You won't know who he is. <laughs> so just make sure that you're here. I'll be a part of what's going on and, and share with us. Uh, because I think that sometimes as we look through Scripture, uh, we, can, we can make some mistakes. I love the way Tim Keller puts it. He says that uh, sometimes we can focus on the word of the Lord and really miss the Lord of the word. And so uh, I just want us to find out who is the Lord of the word. Uh, can Can we truly discover his identity? I believe the answer is yes. And I believe it's going to change our life no matter where we are on our journey. So as, as we move through this next several weeks, I just want to encourage you, be here. Make sure you're here. But then also there's a couple of other things that you can do uh, to help you grow in your understanding and truly find out who Jesus is. Uh, when you walked in, uh, not only did you receive a program, but you also received what we're calling a reading plan. This little bookmark here. Uh, outlines of the book of Mark, the first six weeks of our eight-week journey is listed here. There's still two more weeks that are going to come. So again, that's why you need to be here. You need to come back in a couple of weeks, but uh, we don't want to overload you. But you can read through the book of Mark together as a church and as a family, and, and you can just use this as a guide. Now, we broke this down to not necessarily... Um, like a, a chapter a day or something, it, you're going to see that it's just several verses because it's going to be these conversations, interactions with specific people. 
or it's a story about what Jesus was doing or some, something that was being revealed about him. And I'm a firm believer that, that we need to spend time in the word, uh, but uh, we need to truly read and, and kind of cultivate and just really settle in uh, in the word. And sometimes, if you're like me, I read way too much at one time. And so it's like, uh, I'll put it down and say, check, I got through that. I got, you know, I'm, I'm tracking on reading a chapter a day or two chapters a day. But if you were to ask me, what was it that you read? I might just say, well, I read that chapter. Uh, and so we're going to spend some time and really look at who Jesus is. I encourage you to participate uh, with this reading plan. But also, you can go a little bit further in your discovery of Mark's gospel bar participating in a life group Uh, and as you meet with uh, other believers and part of the community we're going to be discussing what it is that God's word reveals to us about who Jesus is you can also take this and you can sit down and make a commitment that those that sit at the dinner table with you that you have some conversations about what we read Uh, can I encourage you we want to be students of God's word but let's also not do it in isolation let's have some conversations with one another share and grow through that. So we're going to lean in and we're going to learn. As John said, and as you've seen, we've been leading up that today is Baptism Sunday. And and I want you to know that a number of people have been praying uh, for today, been praying for the Holy Spirit to be at work, been praying that uh, the Holy Spirit would be opening hearts. And and maybe you you, you had no thoughts of taking that step this morning, but I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is at work, and he may be speaking into your life, and he may be grabbing a hold of you and helping you understand just the truth of who Jesus is and what's being offered to you, and that Jesus came to give you life, and you can start living that new life today. So as we get into the Word, grab your Bibles, and let's go to Mark chapter 1. And as we turn to Mark chapter 1, I want to encourage you just to bow your heads with me for uh, just a a simple prayer as we come before our Lord. Father God, speak to us. Reveal to us who you are, who Jesus is. Open our eyes and our hearts so that we might be your people full of life. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so here we go. Mark chapter 1. We're only going to look at 11 verses today. But, but as we read in Mark chapter 1, this is what Mark says. He says, this is the good news. Your version might say this is the gospel. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, this book... This gospel, if you will, uh, that Mark writes, it's the same story. It's certainly the same person that Matthew and Luke and John write about. Matthew and Luke, they give us the Christmas story. They share with us all about the birth of Jesus. Mark doesn't do that. He jumps right to the action. He gets to the point where it's like, okay, you know, it's assumed everybody knows that Jesus, you know, where he came from. Uh, the idea that he was born, uh, but we're going to jump right into the fact that this is the beginning of his ministry, the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
the way that Mark writes this, number one, he's writing to a Roman audience. These are Gentile converts uh, to, uh, to Christianity. And so um, they're in a Roman world that they would have understood that whenever they heard good news or the word gospel, it was typically applied to like some pronouncement or announcement really of victory. There, there would be an announcement of good news or there would be this gospel exclamation about victory of some political or even more importantly, some military leader. And writing to this Roman audience, they would immediately be thinking about some form of victor. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. And again, all of the the people who were familiar with uh, Scripture, who were spending time uh, understanding about Israel's history, they were longing for a Messiah. Again, your version might say the Christ, or it might just say this is the good news or this is the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Something that we need to understand is Christ is not his last name, but it is a title that means the same thing as Messiah. And Messiah was this king. This was the one that was expected. It was widely accepted that the Messiah would come in really much like Moses and would deliver the nation of Israel. It was firmly believed, Scripture taught, that he would be a descendant of King David and that he would establish his throne and rule forever. That this king would would basically rule with justice, punishing those who tortured and who made uh, the Israelites suffer themselves. This king would subdue all other nations and he would uh, bring about this, this mindset and this really this kingdom, if you will, where the Israelites were no longer the footstool of pagan rulers and kingdoms that the rest of the world was so accustomed to. The, the Messiah, the king, the Christ would elevate the nation of Israel to its prominent place. This Messiah was not just a king, but he would be the king. But look real quick that what Mark does is he just moves in for even more of like a startling announcement is that all of Israel was expecting some form of a king, some great king, but they never made the connection that he would be the son of God. In this statement, as Mark shares that he's the son of God, immediately he, he helps us understand that Jesus is divine. He's divinity. He's part of the Trinity. There's incredible just a power that's brought together with who Jesus is if he is the son of God. In fact, Mark goes on and he recalls the prophecy of Isaiah. It says, it began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. He's quoting from the the prophet Isaiah. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. When we look at these words and we see that this messenger was talking about the coming Messiah, but he's also talking about the Lord. This is a huge reference 
for you and I to understand who Jesus truly is. Because Mark is making sure that, that all of us understand that he is God. It's hard for us to, to understand what it means that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. Uh, but he, he was this, this being that was so much more than they ever expected. And so this messenger was going to point people to who the Lord is. And this messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and he preached that people should be baptized to show that they had turned to God to receive forgiveness for their sins. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, they went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, John the Baptist is brought into the story because it helps us understand who Jesus really is, what his identity is all about. Because as a prophet, John was speaking with authority. Uh, He was the first prophet uh, for many years uh, that spoke on God's behalf and was helping people understand what it was, the promises that that God had given to his people. And people were placing expectations upon John. They were coming to him, and he was speaking with this authority, and he was talking about this coming one, the one that they were expecting. And, And they were even wondering if John could be the one that they were waiting for. I mean, John the Baptist, he was definitely one of a kind. I mean, this dude ate bugs. He lived alone. He made his own clothes from natural fibers. This guy was living off the grid before it was ever fat. And, And people understand, and they're coming to him, and they're thinking, you are the one that we have been waiting for. But John knew who he was. In fact, he says to them, he says, look, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. We live in a world that is consumed with being the greatest. Muhammad Ali, he was famous for saying he was the greatest. There's been a constant debate for years, whether it's LeBron or Michael. Tom Brady, he's often referred to, I know it hurts for many of us, but Tom Brady's often referred to as the GOAT. I mean, we're all interested in knowing who's the greatest. Now, I understand you may never make it on SportsCenter. You may never be the spokesperson for an insurance company, but you still have thoughts of your own greatness. I'm not saying that you think you're the greatest of all time. But you wonder, or you think, or you hope, you're the greatest in your home. I mean, you're convinced you're the smartest in the room. You're the best one on the team. They'd be lost without you. And perhaps there is a moment, let's... let's, Let's just realize that there are times in our lives where we've kind of thought best 
mom ever right there. I mean, in my save stack of birthday cards and whatnot that's in the drawer next to where I sleep, there is a card that tells me that I am my daughter's hero. And so every one of us has these thoughts that we're great, that we're the best, that there is something about us that separates us. I mean, let's be honest. How many of us really feel as if, like, we'll settle just for mediocrity? No. We have dreams. Kids will play for hours uh, on their their driveway shooting basketball in front of a world audience all by themselves, and they'll call the play again and again and again. Because we all want to be great. We all want to be the greatest. But can we all just admit that in this need for us to be great, there is this tension and this struggle. And it, and it causes us uh, to wonder whether or not anyone else can measure up. I mean, John wants us to know just how great Jesus is. He's, he's not even worthy to untie the sandals of the one who will come. He's not, he's not worthy to even stoop down and pick up Jesus' shoes for him. I mean, what I want us to see is that John has a proper perspective on the authority and prominence of Jesus. He has a proper perspective. I mean, John could have easily bought in to what everyone else was saying about him. I mean, this guy, this is a preacher's dream come true. People are coming from everywhere to hear John speak. They're, the crowds, they're responding to his message. They're coming uh, to, to choose and to respond to what it is that he's saying. They're ready to be baptized. And this guy doesn't have to do anything on social media to gain a following. I mean, he's got it going on. But John has a proper perspective on the authority and prominence of Jesus Christ. You know, at, at one point in his ministry, you know, people are coming to, to John, and, and someone points out to him and says, Hey, John, um, Jesus' popularity is growing faster than yours. I mean, people are leaving like you're teaching, and they're jumping over, and they're now paying attention to Jesus. They, they used to hang out with us, but now they're hanging out with Jesus. In fact, John, Jesus' disciples are baptizing more people than you're baptizing. And John's response is classic. It's right there in John chapter 3. He says, he must become greater, I must become less. I mean, he's got a proper perspective on the authority of Jesus Christ. And honestly, humility is hard. Humility is hard. When I think about just even thinking in the terms of someone becoming greater and I need to become less. I mean, if push comes to shove, I can swallow being on equal terms with another person. That's a whole lot easier than actually thinking that I'm less than them. But John, he's got a proper perspective. And he understands 
who Jesus is. You see, uh, that's the same struggle that the religious leaders had with Jesus as he's moving around in his ministry. I, I, I honestly think that if, if Jesus would have just stopped at be, as being another rabbi equal to them, they wouldn't have set out to kill him. But, but Jesus made it clear he was greater than them. And they struggled with it. And honestly, I think that exists today. That we struggle with Jesus' authority. That he's greater. That his words are true. I'd ask you, what's your perspective on the authority and prominence of Jesus? What's your perspective on on Jesus' authority? Now, I, I know for, for some of us, we want to point out that Jesus is greater than those who are in charge, those who are in political power. Uh, we want to point out that Jesus is, uh, has more authority than the other people who are making life hard for us, taking away our, I don't know, religious rights and freedoms, whatever it might be. But I'm not asking you about your perspective of Jesus' authority over everyone else. What's your perspective on his authority in your life? What's your perspective on his prominence and where he belongs in your life? Do we see Jesus for who he is and what the word tells us that he is? And your perspective on his authority in your life, it determines everything. It determines whether you're going to listen to him. It determines if you'll believe him, if you'll trust him, if you'll follow him, if you'll obey him. What's your perspective on his authority in your life? Because when you fully grasp the identity of Jesus, you'll get a more accurate grasp of your own identity. You're not as great as you think you are. You're nowhere as good as you think you are. And you're certainly not as capable as you think you are. We need help. The help that only Jesus can give us. I mean, even John recognized this in the next part of the story. It says, he's talking to the crowds and John says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you. not Jesus, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There's something that takes place in our baptism that the Holy Spirit comes to us. I mean, uh, John is baptizing there in the Jordan River. He's using water. But what does he mean that Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit? I mean, we've got water right here. Are we doing it wrong when we baptize somebody? I mean, what is it that Jesus... Uh, does and what John is telling us and how we act and how we respond to this call to be baptized. Well, the, the word baptism originally means immerse, like as to submerge or to plunge, to be completely covered. And so uh, when you're baptized into Jesus, it takes place in water for sure because you're completely covered but it's not the water that makes you clean. 
It's not the water that saves you. It's not the water that brings about a healing. It's not the water that cleans your conscience. It's not the water that does anything other than it just is the mode at which we respond to Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that washes us clean. It's the Holy Spirit that covers you completely. And and his power dwells within you at that time of baptism. It's what Peter states in Acts chapter 2. When you receive the gift or the presence of the Holy Spirit at your baptism. It makes you a new creation by the Spirit's power. It's what Paul describes in Romans chapter 8 where he says the Spirit of God. He's talking about the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. It now lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. All of this is made possible because of who Jesus is. And so we go back to Mark and we see that he opens his biography of Jesus. He points us to the identity of Jesus. We look through there, we find that Mark says Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. The prophets say that Jesus is Lord. And John even says he is one who is greater. But then Mark gives us one more witness to who Jesus is. Look at it in verse 9. We see as Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. Moving on, it says, at that baptism, Jesus came up out of the water. He saw the heavens splitting apart, and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. God the Father reveals to us that Jesus is his son. It's a dramatic scene if you just close your eyes and think about it and consider that when Jesus comes up out of the water, the Father covers him with words of love. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit covers Jesus with his presence and his power. What I want us to see is that the identity of Jesus is determined by who God says he is, not from what what the world wants him to be. And so as you and I lean in to who God says his son is, it's going to be in direct opposition at times from what the world wants him to be. We want to relegate Jesus to less than. But he is greater. And we need to recognize his authority and his prominence. And it's not because of what others say, but it's what God himself says about his son. And so my prayer is is that as we lean in to discover the identity of Jesus, we'll have our eyes opened and we'll recognize that God gave his son whom he loves to the world so that we might have life. Without him, there would not be life. You can have that life today. You can accept that Jesus truly is the son of God the Christ, the Messiah, the sacrifice. He's the king of all kings. He's one who is greater. And we can learn to confess him as our Lord. Perhaps 
Today is the day that you need to respond and be baptized into Jesus and to let the Holy Spirit come and cover you and dwell within you and help you in this walk and in this journey that is known as the follower of Jesus Christ. Perhaps uh, you, again, you didn't think about it, you weren't planning on it, uh, but the water is warm. Uh, We've got towels, we've got shorts, we've got shirts. Uh, We don't have to do it in the next 10 seconds. Uh, We can do it after service, whatever it is. But I want you to know that that this journey with Jesus uh, needs to begin in this understanding that he has all the authority and he's the one that does all the work. And we need to unite ourselves with him and trust in him as our Lord and Savior. Be baptized today. Pray with me. Lord God, we're trusting that who Jesus is is more than enough because it's everything. Lord, we're grateful that uh, your love for us uh, was demonstrated in the gift of Jesus, the one who is the greatest, the one who gave it all on our behalf. Lord, I pray that we will see Jesus as who he truly is your son, and that we will allow Jesus to be our Lord and allow his blood to cover our sins. God, thank you for our time together and for revealing to us through the word. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.